Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Faith, as we've been talking about this morning already, relies on what cannot be seen. And, um, and that's a tough one, isn't it? It's, it's a tough one to think about relying on something that cannot be seen. Mark McCormick, in his book, What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School, tells of a Harvard study that was conducted between 1979 and 1989. In 1979, the graduates of Harvard Business School were asked, have you set clear written goals for your future and made plans to accomplish those goals? It turned out that only 3% of the graduates had actually written down their goals. Um, an additional 13% had goals in their mind, but had never taken the opportunity to write those down. Fully 84%. Now, imagine this. this is, these are not just any students. These are students of Harvard. MBA, master's degree students, fully 84% of them revealed that they had no goals at all. Is that not amazing? They found in 10 years of research, they, they came back. And in 1989, at the end of it, the researchers interviewed the members of that class again. They found that the 13% of those who had goals, even those that were not in writing, were earning on average twice as much as the rest. Okay, now that's kind of interesting. Even more than that, and more surprisingly, the 3% of the graduates who had clear written goals when they left Harvard were earning on average 10 times as much as all the other 97% put together. Are you a 3%er? is really our question today. Do you have clear goals? Crystal clear goals about the future. So clear that you could write them down. Why is it that only 3% of people really get clear about the future? What they would like to know about their future and what they'd like to achieve in their future. And if it's 3% of people, only 3% that set goals in the physical realm of their lives... What do you think the percent is for those who have very clear written goals for their spiritual lives and for their spiritual future? I wonder if it's even 3%. And that's what we want to talk about this morning on the basis of a passage from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's a really important passage that talks about faith, and its connection to unseen things and the future. So um, if you would, pull out your crosswalk notes or open up your Bibles. If you brought them this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is really kind of a definition of faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. 
and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Well, someone might argue, and I think fairly reasonably nowadays, that um, this is a pretty tough time to be setting goals about the future, right? With the economic downturn, there are a lot of people today that had set some financial goals for their future, and they're going, hmm, it doesn't seem to be going that direction. One of our members just uh, came back from Galveston Island. Imagine being a resident of Galveston and the hopes and dreams that those people had, and then, boom, a hurricane swept through. Sometimes when we see natural events and wars and terrorism, it kind of it discourages us a little bit, doesn't it, from making goals about our future. And maybe that's one of the reasons that only 3% of us actually sit down and write out clear written goals because we go, what good does it really do to write out those goals? But I find it kind of amazing as you think about that Harvard Business School study that it almost seems, doesn't it, that God has set up our world so that when we make plans and set goals, good things result, right? In the natural world, people know that. If you're a farmer, for example, you know that you better make some plans and set some goals because the seed that you plant today is going to only produce a harvest many months later. So you have to get out into the future. You have to. In our world today, it's a little bit easier, deceptively easier, to live day to day. I was talking to a farmer uh, about a week ago, and, uh, and we're, we're trying to work a deal for... Um, an agricultural buffer zone, and I was explaining to him that we want to make it a win-win situation, and I, I made the statement because, quite frankly, I like to eat too, and you farmers, you produce our food. So I want this to be a good situation for you. And he goes, you would not believe how few people have that figured out. You would not believe how many times I've heard, why do we need you farmers anyway? I can go to fries. So we've kind of become disconnected from having to set goals and, and, and try to get into the future and do things today that are going to produce results later on. And, and again, it's understandable because of all the interesting things that are happening. But honestly, what we're reading here applies to our spiritual life too. And it encourages us that it's important for us to understand that our faith has to do with future things. And think about that for a moment. How confident would you be about this life if you didn't know that in Christ you have an eternal life waiting for you? Is that not an amazing truth? That no matter what happens to you, even if it results in your death, it really, in the end, is going to be a win. 
Because Jesus Christ came for you. He died for you. He saw to it that all your sins are forgiven. And now as a free gift, he's saying, I want to assure your future for eternity. Which is really the the whole point of Christianity, isn't it? That there is something beyond this life. That this life is not all there is. That there is a hope and a future, as Jeremiah says, for all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amazing. And when we have that eternal future view, when we're focused, it also changes life for today. And that's exactly what the author of the book of Hebrews goes on to point out. Really, the whole rest of this chapter, by the way, it's a beautiful chapter. I almost wish we could read the entire thing. And when you go home today, take a moment and sit down with Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not going to be able to touch on all of it. I, I selected some, some really meaningful passages from it. But actually what the author of Hebrews does is he goes on, he, he goes, let's go back into the Old Testament. And let's see how these guys related to the future because they were assured of their permanent future in heaven. They were assured that God was walking with them, even though he couldn't be seen. Take a look at your crosswalk notes. Pull that out. It's this white half sheet right here. And I put a passage in there from a little bit further on in Hebrews chapter 11. And here's what it says. It points us to two men, a man named Noah and a man named Abraham. By faith, Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You ever just sat back and thought about being Noah? Can you imagine all the people that paraded by that that ark, just laughing at him? His his uh, certainty about this flood that was going to come. And yet he kept building. Each day, he showed up for work. And he kept building that ark because he trusted that what God said was going to happen in the future would indeed happen. Abraham 2, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going now can you imagine someone saying to you today for god i need you to pack all your bags i'm not telling you where you're going you just need to have your bags packed and i'm moving you how many of us would raise our hands for that that kind of uncertainty but it says it very clear he did not know where he was going He simply heard the voice of God that said, I need you to move. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And why? Because knowing about eternity changes everything about the future here. Look at that last phrase. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations. You know what that city with foundations is, don't you? A city that for us is out there in the future, but it is the one with a solid foundation. That place in heaven that God has built for all of us and given to us through Christ. 
Abraham was looking forward to that city. And so for the temporary time that he was going to be here on earth, he said, so what if I have to live in tents? So what if I have to live as a stranger in a strange land? I know where my real city and where my real home is. Heaven. Heaven is my home. Some of the things that we struggle with and we're dealing with the future right here in this passage. I want you to go back up. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. I want you to circle the words not yet. You know, when we're Christ followers, there are times, aren't there, when we hear the words not yet. And that's what Noah constantly heard, right? He started building this ark. He built it on a promise that there would be a flood and he needed that ark. God told him to save his family. And I'm sure he woke up daily and said, is today the day? It's going to start to rain today. And each day, at the end of the day, he would go, not yet. Sometimes we struggle with that. We know the promise that Jesus is going to return. And each day we wake up, we go about our lives at the end of the day. Didn't happen yet today. Not yet. And sometimes those words not yet can start to plant little seeds of doubt in our mind. If it's not yet, is it ever? Jesus talks about that. And that's a problem. We have to keep on believing even when God is saying not yet. You have things going on in your lives. Problems that you would love to see solved today. Worries and concerns. And God is saying to you, not yet. And sometimes those not yet start to plant those little seeds, don't they? But not with Noah. Noah kept building. Abraham, let's take a a look at him. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. Circle that word later. Kind of like not yet, isn't it? You're going to get this later. This is going to happen. You'll be blessed later. Many of you, I know because I I talk to you, and you talk to me, you know that as Christ followers, sometimes we walk through life and we're really looking forward to something happening. And it is so hard to struggle with this. It's going to happen later. And that's why God keeps reminding us to persevere and keep walking on faith, trusting that your future is assured. Take a look at what Paul wrote to the Romans. And look at his confidence about the future. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, Life is tough sometimes. We, we groan sometimes over life. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We don't know when heaven is going to come. We don't know when Christ will return. We're waiting eagerly for that day because we know that it represents eternity for us. But while we're still here, sometimes life comes at us hard, just like that series we just finished with. And we groan. But look at what he closes out with. For in this hope we were saved. 
But hope that is seen is no hope at all. If we've already got the tangible in our hand, it's no longer hope. It's no longer hope. All I have to do to kill hope is to bring out the tangible, right? Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So number one, here's our first point today as we're talking about faith relying on what cannot be seen. Point number one is faith is being sure of things we hope for, like Noah and Abraham were. I want to read you a letter. Remember last week I, uh, I suggested that you might want to uh, write me an email about, about things that are happening in your life. And I received an email this week. Things that talk about the aspects of faith that we're talking about. This one fit in perfectly with faith as being sure of what we hope for. Listen to what uh, this individual wrote me. Once upon a time, I worked with a Christian high school classmate of mine. While we were both in college, and eventually we both graduated, we got married, and pretty much lost touch briefly thereafter. She became a professional, then later got a divorce, left her parents, left Christianity, and everything church behind. No one had heard from her in a long time. And from time to time, I would see her mother at church or school events. After a long time of no contact with my friend, I bumped into her parents at a school function, and I asked about my friend, and I even got her email address. I wrote her, and she responded. I invited her to a school reunion. At first, she did not seem interested and made all kinds of excuses why the event couldn't handle her. Took each of her concerns to the people in charge, and we were able to accommodate her requests. She seemed to appreciate the effort and decided to come. She had a fantabulous evening. We kept in touch via email from time to time. Since I was working with children in her area of expertise, I asked for her help and advice. Then I invited her to give a workshop for my students, and she came and she did a great job. And that was her first time in a church building in a very long time. Finally, this year, I asked her to help with our school program on a regular basis. She was full of questions and somewhat skeptical because the school's at a church. I answered all of her questions, but I did not expect her to accept them. To my surprise, she did accept, my, accept her invitation to help. That's what it was. To my surprise, she did accept my invitation to help. So she comes to the school in a church building every week. And it was soon discovered that one of my children is friends with one of her relatives. Is that a small world? Is it a coincidence? The email writer says, I don't think so. I knew she had not communicated with with these family members in a long time, but I decided, decided to tell her about our connection. I could see that she felt a little sad about missing out on relationships with her family. She had a story about another connection that was made the same week. Invisible forces, a framework that we can't see. She discovered that another person she works with is connected to her Christian past. We were both amazed at the blitz of connections to her past that were coming at her from all directions. Unseen connections. 
She said to me, what's going on? But she saw the connections too now. And all of a sudden, I knew that God was working on her, trying to call her back. I just smiled at her as I thought this. I don't think she is totally hostile to God. She describes her religious views on her internet page as free. I was recently able to share with her mother that I thought God was working on her daughter slowly and gently as he knows best. Her mother smiled. I look forward to seeing what else God has in store. The story is not finished yet. Now listen to these words. I hope, there's that word, I hope that I will have an opportunity to see her be truly free. Free indeed. Here's a Christian sharing the message of Christ with another person because she believes there's hope for this person, right? She's casting out into the future, saying, I think God can work in this person's heart, even though she's drifted pretty far away. Here's, here's a Christian that is saying, there are connections. I can't always see them. They're unseen connections, but they're there. They're real. You see the unseen at times? Remember what the author to the Hebrews says. It's being certain, faith is, of what we do not see. Hmm. Perhaps there's a whole framework that is there, that God has set up. A, a, a set of unseen connections between people so that he can tap into that to, to use so that people can learn to know that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior so that the Word of God, through that, through that unseen lattice work of relationships, can be shared and that the Holy Spirit can work on hearts and minds through the gospel. We're so... We're so used to having to have the tangible, aren't we? You know what tangible is? Something that you can grasp with your senses, right? I did a word search. I googled tangible. Came with all sorts of articles on tangible value, tangible love, tangible peace, tangible fellowship, tangible service, tangible future. Tangible results. We love the tangible. And yet, so much about faith is untangible. And the Bible admits this. It says faith is actually a certainty about things that are intangible, that we cannot see or feel or touch. Pull out your crosswalk notes once again. Once again. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, re realize in this story, Moses had grown up in the court of Pharaoh. He had all the wealth and all the prestige. He was regarded, as you know, from the Disney movie, as a prince of Egypt. But what does it say here? He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why would anybody give up all that tangible stuff? 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value, more tangible value, we might say, than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead. There's that hope aspect again. He was looking ahead to his reward. He was sure of things hoped for, certain of things that could not be seen. And so by faith, it says, he left Egypt. And Moses did not fear the king's anger. Now look at this next phrase. Will you underline it? What does it say? He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. You know who that is, don't you? He saw God, even though God is invisible. He saw God's impact on his life. So by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. He actually acted on this faith in the invisible. You know, there's quite a few things, aren't there, that are invisible, but we still have faith in them. Jesus uses one example of the wind. Can't see the wind. And yet, we believe there is such a thing as wind. Why? Because we can see the effects of the wind, right? When the wind blows, even though you don't see the wind, you see the leaves blow, you see the dust, especially here in Phoenix, get picked up. You see the effects of the wind, even though you don't see the wind itself. And it's the same with God, isn't it? Think about how many other things you believe, even though you haven't seen them. Do you believe that Napoleon existed once? Ever meet him? Shake his hand? Talk with him? But you believe that he existed. Why? There are so many things that we believe, even though they are not visible to us today. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to Christianity, we always seem to want one more tangible proof, right? Remember Thomas? The guy that had followed Jesus around for several years? And after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples, and Thomas wasn't there at first. So Jesus comes back and he appears again. Meanwhile, Thomas has said what? Remember? I will not believe that Jesus has risen from the grave until I touch his hands and put my hand in his side. I need to see it. And do you know what Jesus' words are to Thomas? When he finally meets him after the resurrection? Thomas, you believe because you see, but more blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. More blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Like Moses, faith has to do with the invisible. And that's really far less unusual than we want to make it. On the other hand, it makes it quite understandable, doesn't it, that Faith has to be worked in us as a gift. It has to be given to us. We can't work that faith ourselves. 
we have to have the Holy Spirit because our sinful nature is constantly resisting seeing the invisible and the intangible. And so the Apostle Paul says, he says it quite clearly when he writes to the Corinthians, this faith stuff is foolishness to those without the Holy Spirit. We need to have that connection, as you heard me say last week, to the Word of God. Because through the Word of God, God gifts us with the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts to be sure about things that we're still hoping for and to be certain of things we do not see. And yet when he comes into our hearts, it's amazing the power to open up our eyes to the intangible. That's our second point. Faith is being certain of things we can't see. Take a look at what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, in fact. He said, so we fix our eyes. This is in your crosswalk notes. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In fact, what is unseen has far more lasting value, Paul says. It's eternal. All this stuff, Jesus says, that we see that seems so tangible today, it's going away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away, Jesus says. Paul goes on to write to the Corinthians in his second letter, chapter 5, verse 7. We live by faith, not by sight. Faith is being certain of things we can't see. This series, Legacy, is about building a lasting faith. And each week I'm going to bring a building tool up here to remind us that that's what we're trying to do in this series. Last week I, uh, I brought a big reminder, didn't I, that uh, we're building a lasting faith. And you remember last week's message, Jesus brought a child out in front of everyone and he said, if you want to have a legacy faith, your faith has to, has to look like a child's faith. And we, we turned the ladder upside down. Anybody remember why? Because the chief aspect of that childlike faith was humility. And Jesus points that out. I turned the ladder upside down to show that instead of climbing up in the world, Jesus' ladder has us climbing down in humility to love and serve others. Just the way someone else climbed down from heaven to earth for you. Today, I have another building tool. It's kind of the opposite in size. It fits in the palm of my hand. And um, anybody know what this is? Bob will know. It's a stud finder. Oh, oh. All right. I know my jokes are kind of dumb. It's a stud finder. Why do we use this? Why do builders use this? Right? If, if you want to use it at home, for example, it's because you probably want to hang something heavy up on your wall, right? And you know that behind the drywall is what? An invisible framework that you can't see because the drywall's in your way. 
So if you have a heavy thing that you want to hang up, you run this along the wall, and the little magnet in here senses the nails that are driven into that invisible framework. We call it the framing of the house, don't we? And boom, when you run over a nail that's in that framing, it shows you there's a stud right there. And then you nail into that stud, and your picture is going to stay there for as long as it needs to stay. This is our tool for today. Because in the very last part of our text for today, go back to Hebrews chapter 11 again, and look at verse 2. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, he says in verse 1. And then verse 2 says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And then he goes on, by the way, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and he writes a whole chapter and names names. I hope you read it at home. It's so encouraging. He names names, and he literally by name commends Old Testament believers for their faith in the unseen and their certainty about their hope. You know what question that answers, don't you? What kind of faith is going to get good marks from God? Because literally, you know what that word commended means? It literally means to be given a good report. Kind of like uh, right around this time, it's quarter break. Lots of teachers are giving out report cards. What kind of faith is going to be given a good report card. Now, that's kind of a weird question when you think about it. You know why it's weird, don't you? Because we don't work faith in our own hearts. We already talked about that, right? Faith is a gift from God. That's why this is a little bit counterintuitive. God is going to give us a report card about something that we don't even create for ourselves we we have it we hold it it's in our hearts and in our minds but it is god who works that faith and then he gives us a report card about the faith that he's just given us you know what that's called don't you that's called grace and one of the classical definitions of grace is that god gives what he demands you and I needed to be right in God's sight in order to inherit eternal life. So what did he do? In grace, he gave us all the righteous acts of Jesus Christ. He gave us what he was demanding from us. You and I deserve to be punished because of our sins. We deserved to die, God says, for eternity. But God didn't want us to die, so he gave us a death that we could use. His own son's death. Jesus became our substitute in death. God gave us what he demanded. Now here comes Hebrews chapter 11 and says, a legacy faith is a faith that you're going to get a good report card on. And I demand that you have that kind of faith. And by the way, here I'm going to give you what I demand. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit into your hearts. 
I'm going to use the word and the sacraments like baptism and the Lord's Supper to start faith and to build faith and to finish faith in you. I'll give you what I'm demanding from you. What an awesome thing grace is. Now, take a look at how he expresses this in the very next chapter after he goes through this whole list of people that he's commending for their faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, and I put this in your crosswalk notes, take a look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded, he says in Hebrews 12:1, by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's referencing all these people that he's just commended for their faith. They're like witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Now look at verse 2. Beautiful words. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Now I want you to underline the next phrase. The author and the perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? Who wrote faith in your heart? Jesus did. Who went back and did, like all authors do, the rewrite and the editing and the spell check on your faith? Jesus did. And Jesus is doing. Because he is the author and the perfecter of your faith, the very faith that's going to get a great report card, an A+, because it's written and it's perfected by whom? Not by you. You have it. You hold it. It's your faith. But Jesus gave it to you. He authored it, and he is perfecting it even today as you listen to his word, as you tap into baptism and the Lord's Supper. He is authoring and perfecting your faith. What a beautiful passage. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Here's the point. You want a faith that gets an A+, you have to find the stud. Now, Dave's a stud. But the real stud, spiritually, is Jesus Christ. The one who really can get the job done is Jesus Christ, who hung on a cross for you who saw to it that your sins are forgiven, and who now says to you, if you want your faith to be a legacy faith, hang it on me. Hang it on me. Because I will see to it that we build together a true legacy of faith. An A-plus faith that will constantly semester after semester after semester be given a good report card. You want to build a strong, lasting faith, find the stud, find Jesus. Let's take a look at the last passage. These 
were all commended for their faith, it says in Hebrews 11.39. It's kind of interesting. It circles all the way back. Hebrews 11.2 says, before I write this list of Old Testament believers who got a good report for their faith, and you, you read through that list at home, you're going to see how many times, even though it's Old Testament, Jesus is referenced in there. These guys were following Jesus, the writer to Hebrews says, even before Jesus came. That's hope. And at the very end of the chapter, he comes all the way back to it. Hebrews eleven thirty nine. These were all commended, given a good report card for their faith because they found the stud. Last point. This kind of faith receives God's commendation. The faith that's given to us as a gift through Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, there you have it. We're going to continue four more weeks building a legacy faith. I hope that you'll return in the next weeks and we can talk more about how we can build that strong, lasting faith. Let's let's take a look at your next steps in the crosswalk for this week. Here's a great way to practice your faith in the invisible, your certainty about your future because of Christ. Pick something that will require you to use the eyes of your faith and begin doing it this week. Rest your confidence in a gracious heavenly father who sent his son Jesus for you and take a risk for God. Here's another thing you can do. Phil told you about this. It's hard sometimes. It takes faith just to even invite someone to a church. Here you go. We're giving you a tool. Find Phil after the service today. Take this to a friend, a neighbor, and invite a friend to come to Crosswalk's Trunk or Treat. You can be useful to God as a first step in someone's journey toward Jesus. And here's the final thing. Meditate on and memorize Hebrews 11.1. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the one who sent us Jesus Christ. And that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, build that legacy of faith in our hearts. Send your son and send your spirit, your Holy Spirit to us through word and sacrament. Help us to to constantly connect with you through those means of grace so that our faith can get stronger. And so we can tap into that author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to find Jesus, who is the true stud, the true framework of our life that lies hidden behind the drywall of daily events. Help us to see him and hang our life on him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.